Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie G and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, December 25th, 2013. Today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and we are at page one, chapter one, paragraph one with Bill's story. Starting with the paragraph, the first paragraph, War Fever Ran High. Today's readers are Susan, Michelle, and Fran. Oh, excuse me. Um, I want to begin with the 12 steps are Sarah W., the 12 traditions, Nancy, and then our readers are Penny, Susan, Michelle, and Fran. And I made another mistake because Penny's not here. So, Susan, we're going to start with you. I apologize. The reference number for yesterday, Tuesday, December 24th, is 5657. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sarah to read the 12 steps, please. Sarah, please press star one. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Sarah, Grateful Recovering Compulsive Overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening, as the result of these steps, we tried to carry the message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah. And I will now ask Nancy to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning. Thank you. This is Nancy, compulsive overeater from Lewiston, Idaho. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, planning outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OAS sets ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all those traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nancy. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you please keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share approximately to three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, please press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. And I want to ask everyone to please make an extra effort today. We have been having some technology issues, so please do stay muted so that we can have a quiet meeting. Um, And please wait to press star one until um, it is your opportunity to share. Today we resume our study of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page one, Paragraph one, and I want to find out is Penny, are you available? We are starting with the paragraph War Fever Ran High. 
and I'm not hearing Penny. So, um, Susan, are you available to start off with the reading, please? Yes, this is Susan, compulsive overeater in New York. Thanks so much for your service, Katie. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew. Young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned, and we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war. Moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. And again, this is Susan C., compulsive overeater in New York. And what comes to me as I read this is that here we've got this new young officer, and it's wartime. And how frightened I would think that a non-recovered man might be under such circumstances. And yet fear isn't mentioned. Um, you know, I I go to page 67, and it says that at the bottom, it says that fear was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. And I definitely know that that's my experience, that underneath a lot of what goes on for me in a given, uh, in, 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 in a given circumstance is there's fear underneath. But what's interesting is while fear isn't mentioned, love and applause are mentioned. And um, just wanting the love and applause, and I can, I can relate to that too. Sometimes I would cover up the fear with this, this false notion, this delusion that if only I could get the love and the applause and the accolades, then I'll be okay and everything will be okay. And I think about again how it's wartime and there's killing going on. People are getting killed and people are killing others. And it, it just brings to my mind that that sense of selfishness, um, which on page 62 we learn that selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. To be thinking of getting love and applause when when one might when there might be so much death and horrors going on, atrocities going on in war. But the last point I want to make is that. Bill said I was a part of life at last, and I too, that was, that was what was underneath. I so wanted to be a part of things, and it seemed, and, and didn't necessarily always feel a part of things. I didn't always feel not a part, but it, it kind of depended. There were days where I could feel, I could be surrounded by a large group of people and feel as alone as if I were sitting myself in my apartment, and that's when Bill discovered liquor. And then later, it says that uh, he was very lonely, and he again turned to it. And the last page I'm going to reference in the big book, other page, is page 151. It's the beginning of a vision for you, a chapter we recently visited. And it says, for most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It's joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we excuse me, recapture the great moments of the past. 
And it just seems like it's a foreshadowing because here he's in just the very first paragraph. He's discovered liquor. It's exciting. He's a part of life. And then just a few sentences later, he's already turning to it to drown out a sense of loneliness. And I can relate to how the food was first a luxury and then became a necessity for me. Thanks so much, and I pass. Thank you, Susan, for your share. And I would uh, like to ask now, who would like to comment on what was read? This is Katie. Katie, go ahead, please. Good morning. This is Katie in Virginia. And uh, I just wanted to uh, focus on this sentence. I forgot the strong warnings and and the prejudice of my people concerning drink. And then I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. And, you know, I thought that I needed to change my circumstances. That if I changed my circumstances and I was really happy or I was doing something that I wanted to do, then food would stop having this grip on me. That if, you know, and so I fell into that trap over and over again. And especially this one time when I um, had not binged on sugar in about five years and someone, um, I was making something and someone said, oh, you have to try it. And I, as if it were, you know, a piece of sugar-free gum, I said, okay, and I ate it. And that started this uh, binge and, you know, back into the food like never before that lasted over a year. And, you know, before that, I knew all about this program. I knew all about my addiction. And yet somehow I thought that because I was in this different circumstance that it wasn't going to catch up to me. You know, so that is the insanity of the first drink. And the first drink then takes me where I don't want to go. And if I forget that, if I forget that on December 25th, I'm a compulsive overeater the same way I am, you know, any other day of the week, um, you know, that I'm doomed to repeat the same things over and over again. But the good news is, you know, I don't have to go back to that. I don't have to succumb to the obsession as long as I don't pick up the first bite. But I had to learn how to not pick up the first bite. And, you know, this is just the very beginning of Bill's story, and we'll see how the disease progresses. And if it progressed for him, I know it would progress for me. And it did, in and out of these rooms. And that's what I have to remember, or I will go back there and try that experiment one more time. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Who else would like to comment on what was read today? Janice? This first paragraph. Janice, go ahead, please. Yes, good morning to you, Katie. This is Janice M. from Massachusetts, a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, right off the bat, this uh, paragraph, I can identify with it as a compulsive overeater. First of all, the word flattered. Oh, my goodness. You see, that was the approval that I was always seeking as a child. If I did something good, then I would get approval from people. And then, of course, you know, we get disappointed because I was always trying to feel good. 
like like um, like Bill, you know, uh, 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 people made me feel good. You know, I, I felt heroic. I felt like, oh, geez, I could do things pretty good, you know. Um, so I can identify a lot with his thinking here. Um, and then, of course, you know, like myself as a compulsive overeater, how many times was I warned, you know, because of the food, the amount of food or the resentments I had or anything, you know, warnings. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. I, I just forgot because I'm a quick forgetter. And, um, you know, that's just part of my nature, especially when it comes to my, my incurable illness of compulsive overeating. And, you know, again, I became very lonely. There was all kinds of excuses and alibis um, whether it was blaming somebody, and that's why I did this, but I found a solution. And what was my solution? My solution, his solution was alcohol. My solution was certain trigger foods. Um, you know, uh, asparagus does not trigger me. In fact, I, I don't think I've ever I've eaten it once in my life, and I'm decades old. See, that would never, I would never go to that. But I would go to foods that made me feel comfortable and at ease, whether I was lonely or sad or happy or didn't matter. That's what I did. And um, and with that, I will pass. Thanks. Thank you for your share. Who else would like to comment this morning on what was read? Good morning, Casper. May I share? Okay. I heard... Um, Somebody say good morning, and I also heard Kim. So who said good morning? Esther. Esther. Okay, we're going to have Esther, and then uh, Kim will have you next. Okay, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for your service. This is Esther, compulsive overreader. And when I read this paragraph, what comes to me is... um, when you know when I'm at a social situation and we see all the substances that uh at least I do, I see all the substances that I know it's like, oh no, here we go, and um it says, I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my of my people concerning drink um it's it's really tough when you're in a social situation. That's that's what this this saying to me. That for a moment or two things go out the window. Oh, you're at a party. Oh, come on. The one time, you know, you could let it go. You could let it go. But I know if I let it go, that it's just going to spiral out of control, and um, I'm going to be sorry after. So. Um, the thing to remember is that even though everybody's, you know, very applauding and everybody's having a good time and everybody's just laughing and it's kind of like a break from reality, I have to always, always have in mind that I am a compulsive overeater. And in every situation, it doesn't mean that I can't have a good time. It means that I have, I have to always put my health first. And... Um, I think this is something that I'll always be learning. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. And Kim, please. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. Here was love, applause, 
war, moments of lines with intervals hilarious. I was a part of life at last. And in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. Now, I can so identify in with that, and I think this is a time of year that I get a lot of phone calls because it's the holidays, and, and food is love. And how am I going to participate in these activities with my family without the food? It's so intertwined. You know, and that is because as compulsive overeaters, we focus in on the food. You heard what Esther said. How am I going to navigate these parties if they're serving my food? You know, I saw this picture on Facebook, and it said, trail mix, chocolate with obstacles. And I had to laugh because that was so true for me. I justified the trail mix trying to get through to those M&Ms. And one of the things I had to look at was that's what I did with these holidays. You know, I think, well, if I don't partake, then how am I going to avoid, how am I going to enjoy Christmas? If I don't partake, how am I going to enjoy New Year's? If I don't partake, how am I going to enjoy Thanksgiving? But the fact was, I wasn't really present there. What I was doing, I was, I was going to these things, and my family members were obstacles to get to my food. They were obstacles. So food was, was loved to me, and I started to avoid the rest of the world. That's not a way to live. And what this program does is it allows us to walk through life. And I can still have love, moments sublime, interval hilarious, and be a part of life at last, and not it be about the food. That's the miracle of this program. I always use two examples. Two of the things that I had to not partake in while I was going through the process was Halloween and Super Bowl parties because I was so tortured by the food in abstinence, not even in the food, but in abstinence. It was so painful to partake in those two events. So I didn't partake in them, and I went through the steps. Do you know what happened? When Halloween came around, I'm like, oh, my God, the kids are wearing costumes. Oh, my God, isn't this adorable? Because all I did for Halloween when I said I didn't want to deprive the children was I would sit in my house hoping to God that no kid would ring my doorbell because I didn't want to share my candy with those little monsters. When I became recovered and the candy no longer, you know, was was just as if I was handing out, you know, uh, pencils or something, I could enjoy the holiday. And then when I went back to the, the Super Bowl party, I was like, huh, I don't like football. I don't want to watch this football game. The only reason I was there was to binge. The only reason I was there was to binge, and nobody wants to talk during a football game. So I stopped going to Super Bowl parties because they weren't enjoyable, because the people there wanted to watch the game, and I didn't like football. So that is what we we have to recognize here, that the alcohol was a part of the excitement, but soon the alcohol became the only reason he was at places. Isn't that true for us? So during these holidays, we have to, may have to not go to them so that we can get the neutrality, have the obsession removed, and go back into those holidays and back into those families' events so that we can experience love, applause, moments sublime with intervals hilarious, and be a part of life at last and not have the food be the focus of our day. Our life should not be trail mix, having been chocolate with just obstacles. And with that, I pass.
Thank you, Kim. And this is Katie G. And I am going to take a minute to just share real quick here on what we read. And um, what's coming up for me this morning is um, the lie versus the truth, right? Um, so the lie is that being part of life um, means food, right? Like that in the midst of this lofty, you know, I just think of like a cocktail party, you know, where there's all this other stuff going on and that somehow that food is going to fix it, that food is my solution, that food makes me a part of, right? And that's the lie. And that's the lie that I told myself for years and years that if I could just have this food, if I could just eat it normally, and then the truth. This last sentence, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. And I loved that it says, I forgot the strong warnings and prejudices of my people concerning drink. And what is that? Frothy emotional appeal. We read about it in the doctor's opinion. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. If we want to make a change, that message must have depth and weight, right? Who cares about the warnings and prejudices of my people if I have the food? And the truth of the food for me when I when I look at it is that food is not my solution. Food is going to bring me down. I am going to lose and I am going to end up, you know, um, 228 pounds, 110 pounds, but more significantly, I am going to end up lonely and isolated because what is the ism of my disease? I separate myself. I separate myself with the food. I separate myself with the lies that I am, um, that I'm different than you, that you hate me, that, you know, the way you're behaving is all about me, all my resentment, my selfishness, my dishonesty, and my fear. And because those lies become so loud, eating is a step up from how I feel about myself. It's a relief. And I become very, very lonely because I'm isolating and separated. And with that, I do pass. And who else would like to comment on what was read, please? This is Bella. Can I share? Yes, Bella. I did hear one other person. Sarah. Leah. Sarah. Okay, we're going to have Bella, Sarah, and then Leah. Bella, go ahead, please. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. Here here was love, applause, war. Yes, there was love and applause, but it also was their war. And war is always either you are a winner or a loser. And obviously, and this is what, what I was. I was all my life looking for to be a winner. I was all my life in a war, in a war with with my parents, in a war with my teachers, in a war with my friends, and most probably I was in a war with myself. I was looking for to be a winner, but I was looking for the power not in the right place. And then I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Yes, I was looking for the power. I was looking to be the winner, but not in the right place. I thought that I am perfect, I am so good, I am so smart, I am so wonderful. If only I would have different parents, if only I would I would have more money, if only. And I was only in a blaming and judging, and I was lonely. And uh, I felt comfortable and secure 
again running to the food. The food never judged me. The food never blamed me. I was with the food the best friend. The food was my enemy, but I didn't know. I was so much disconnected with with God that I was looking for the power for to control, but I never find it. And yes, to be to be the winner is only when I am connected to God. Then when I am a winner, when I know that I am human, then is when I am the winner. I am not in a war. I am connected to God. And it's for me it's a miracle that I can say now that I used to, not anymore. Now I am not in a war anymore. Now I am in love, in a respectful place. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Sarah. Uh, Good morning, Vision, for you. And good morning, Katie. Thank you for your service. It's a beautiful meeting today, and I'm so glad to be here. Um, I was just thinking to myself, um, and and I I loved what I've heard already, but um, about the idea of not being comfortable in one's own skin. You know, that's what I keep hearing in this first paragraph. You know, being so worried about what other people's opinions are of him and, and also how lonely he was. And the thought that came into my mind was, you know, a long time ago I heard in recovery, you know, we're egomaniacs with inferiority complexes. And I, I know for myself <clears throat> that's been my story, you know, very insecure, very, um, you know, uh, tell me what I should feel, tell me uh, if I'm okay, and then I, I might be okay. But really I never was. And And the food always ended up being the lover or the friend, you know, which really was, in essence, the enemy because, you know, it it brought me into the downward spiral uh, where I couldn't get out. And um, that is the lie. You know, somebody spoke about the lie. You know, that is the lie. The lie is that I will feel better. But as is said on this line so many times, you know, you do feel better when you put the food down. That's what we don't want to do. We don't want to feel, and when we... We utilize the addictive substance. We numb ourselves for a little bit, but then we have that guilt and remorse, and we always go back because we don't want to feel. So I guess, you know, know, I heard the ism is I, self, and me, but I heard this morning I separate myself, and I really love that. And I just wanted to, to, to just focus on the idea that, you know, the loneliness, the feelings is what, what brings Bill back to utilizing something because he doesn't want to feel. He doesn't want to feel just as I didn't want to feel. And the fear that I heard spoken about brings me to the idea of, you know, there's three things I've always heard, the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real, face everything and recover, or F everything and run. And today, I really want to live in the present, to be present and to be present I have to put the food down and I have to allow myself to trust that God is with me and that I want to, I desire to, and I do act on working the steps every day. And that is what truly gives me true sobriety and freedom. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Sarah and Leah. Thank you so much, Katie, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. We were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Um, you know, was always uh, chasing. That's the basic flaw of of my addiction. You know, my life of addiction is is you know, faulty dependence, faulty dependence on, on a substance, faulty dependence on people, on places, on situations, on circumstances to give me that sense of stability and security. Um, you know, it is hard to feel comfortable, hard to be comfortable for someone like, like me when all my life I was trying to be somebody, feel like something, aspired to be equal, and, and so desperately need, needed to be superior. Uh, and that's exactly, you know, when I read this, I relate to that. We were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. You know, Bill is, is getting that sense of, you know, stability and uplift um, from the applause here. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. You know, he took his first drink. Uh, that was a Bronx cocktail. And I remember reading, you know, Bill's reflections on that first drink was that, you know, his imagination soared and his tongue loosened at last and, and wonderful vistas opened up on all sides for him. And this sense of self-consciousness um, kind of fell away. You know, that reminds me of, you know, our text when it talks about for most normal folks, Drinking means conviviality, companionship, and co colorful imagination, release from care, boredom, and worry, uh, joyous intimacy, but not for people like us. You know, I am not normal. You know, I am not a normal person. I have an allergy of the body, had an obsession of the mind. Um, taking that first drink initially uh, was fun, those first binges. Um, but it did not, in the end, bring conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination for someone like me. Um, my disease grabbed me by the throat, pulled me by the roots of my hair, and uh, led me to deep depression, isolation, and suicidal thinking. You know, when I look back, uh, I realize that it's not just the eating that puzzled me and the consequences of my eating that bedeviled me. It's the way I felt food sober. It's the way I felt when I wasn't compulsively overeating that was so puzzling to me. And when he writes here, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Bill is developing a relationship with alcohol, a relationship with alcohol. Um, and of course, more, more to be discovered as we read his story. The program of recovery allowed me to turn, instead of turning to bags and boxes, it allowed me to turn and create a relationship with a power greater than myself. That is the whole process of the program of recovery. You know, because every human being has a deep, deep thirst for something. Uh, Bill's initial deep, deep thirst was for alcohol. My deep, deep thirst was for uh, binge foods. Um, and every human being is on a journey to satisfy that thirst. And thank God today the program of recovery turned me to a relationship with God instead of substance to bring security, trust, and reliance. And with that, I pass. Thanks.
Thank you, Leah. And before we move on, would someone else like to comment on what was read? Liz? I'm sorry, what was your name? This is Sharon. May I share? Okay, I heard Sharon, and then I did hear someone before Sharon. It's Liz, Katie. Liz, okay. Um, we're going to start off with Sharon and then Liz. Oh, thanks, Katie. And uh, thank you so much for your service today. And hello to everyone out on the line. This is Sharon, a compulsive, um, recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. And uh, I've just been listening to everybody share, and I can, you know, it's just like I'm nodding my head up and down here. But uh, what I see so clearly on here and can identify in with was that, you know, as, as far back as I can remember, I just craved, um, I craved wanting to be the center of attention. I so desperately wanted to be admired and and thought highly of and um, most of all wanted to be a part of my um, belonging to my peers. Uh, that was just so important to me. And um, what I see now, what a faulty dependence I had on on people and situations very early on in my life and yet felt so insecure all the time on, on the inside um, and full of fear. And so, you know, I would try to cover those things up and and I can relate to this on two levels with, uh, with my drinking career. I started very early on in my early teens with that and that relieved a lot of that inner conflict and tension that I just lived with all the time. And then, um, you know, the next thing that came along was the food. Uh, food was more uh, more accessible uh, in those early years too. And so I just I just began um, this thirst for more. You know, there was never enough attention. There was never enough applause. There was a never enough enough enough. And of course, I was going after all the things that I thought would satiate that irresistible, um, uncontrollable desire for more of everything. And, um, and like Bill says later, I, later on in his story, what happens is sooner or later these uh, substances turn around like a boomerang and just cut us to pieces. And that's exactly what happened to me. And in fact, when I went to Australia with my... Uh, my um, adult daughter and her husband to take care of the children. That was one of the things I have still on my book, top of my bookcase is the boomerang, just reminding me of that, uh, that everything I was uh, striving for was going to eventually just turn, turn in its wake and cut me to pieces. So I am just so grateful to be here today. I am so grateful to know there is a solution. I'm so grateful to know that I, um, that we all of us can live in this solution and that um, what seems like a hopeless situation for us is not because there is a solution. It requires us to do two very simple things. One, we put down the food, the food that we will never be able to take without starting up that vicious cycle of addiction. And then we work this, these steps to have that relationship with God, a higher power, that will will fill that desperate, empty spot in my soul, 
and and will be satisfying and will be more than I'd ever dreamed possible just as a result of these simple things laid out in this book. So thank you so much, Katie, and I pass. Thank you, Sharon. And we're going to take Liz as our final comment on this paragraph. Hi, my name is Liz, compulsive reader from New Hampshire. I was just thinking about this because what strikes me most is that uh, when he uh, comments on um, I was uh, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol and I was remembering back to being well I am still but remembering back to being brought up as one of eight children and having my own bedroom right off the kitchen and um, I uh, started I I think I started picking I picked up probably when I was around eight and. I just wanted to be left alone, and I loved it in my own bedroom. I hated family gatherings. I didn't even know how to socialize with my own siblings. And I would um, love the holidays because that was the best time to eat the most. And I didn't know what to do, social gatherings, and I avoided them like the plague. I didn't know how to make conversation. Um, I, I just... All I knew to do was to seek out the food. And I think it was a deep-seated loneliness and a deep-seated depression. And it was the only thing that calmed me and soothed me and gave me any kind of sense of actually belonging. And when I came into OA in um, the 80s, I started to learn that I actually did have the capacity to make conversation and to be around other people, which was a wonderful thing to find out, but I still prefer to be in my own apartment and by myself, and this is something that I look forward to changing as I now begin to go through the steps because I don't want to spend the rest of my life seeking loneliness and aloneness with the food, but I read that line and I thought, this is my, almost my whole life, um, and it was the food and volume food, and not volumes of abstinent food, but volumes of sugar and flour. And I remember that bedroom, always had my own bedroom. And it's almost as if my parents knew that I belonged alone. And um, I hate trail mix. I hate trail mix because it's mixed up with all this other stuff, which, you know, who wants anything but the M&Ms. So this sentence means a great deal to me. And I will uh, I'll end with that. Thank you, Liz. And we're going to move on. Michelle, would you please read the next paragraph we landed? Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle H., recovered compulsive overeater in Missouri. <clears throat> we landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. And um, so, yeah, this morning we're getting into Bill's story. He's he's looking back on how how his uh, uh, disease started, um, how his relationship with alcohol started, and um, how he was turning to it, 
And then, um, you know, it was at wartime, and he landed in England. And here he is um, wandering into um, a church, Winchester Cathedral. And in this church, he was. it says he's much moved. And he was moved outside and standing in front of this tombstone, reading um, what he later, um, as he's reminiscing in his story looking back, that this was a warning to him that um, that alcohol is um, is deadly, that um, those who get entangled or who have this disease of alcoholism um, are doomed, are doomed unless, unless we realize our predicament. And he says this was an ominous warning, um, but he failed to heed it. And so as I, as I read this story, as I'm, I'm brought into the big book by teachers of the big book, you know, I'm told, you know, Michelle, how, can, how do you identify with this? Um, how is your story like Bill's story? How did you feel like Bill felt? And so, you know, what are my ominous warnings that I failed to heed? And so I, you know, um, in, reading this chap- in reading this paragraph, um, it just really is striking to me that there's, there's the symbol of a cathedral, which represents, um, it, it could have been a temple, it could have been a synagogue, but it represents a higher power. And then, you know, the power... Um, and then also there's this, there's this tombstone that talks about how alcohol can kill. Alcohol is deadly. And so there's power versus this powerlessness of this disease. And for me, you know, I felt like my higher power had moved me to go to Overeaters Anonymous in 1996. And I stayed for 12 months, and I identified myself right out. I failed to heed. I failed to realize my predicament with this deadly disease. And so, um, you know, looking back on my story, I saw that I chose food as, well, food is, like we've already learned, um, my substances, I say I have a choice, but really my alcoholic foods are of no choice. But it became my higher power because in the beginning it brought me ease and comfort just like Bill's talking about in this um, first paragraph, at first it brought him ease and comfort. It relieved, he thought, his loneliness, and I thought it relieved my loneliness and made me feel better. But it's already been stated, this powerful disease um, tells me a lie. It tells me a lie that it's going to bring me ease and comfort, and then once it has me, um, it leads me on to destruction. It leads me on to a life of being doomed, as long as I continue um, to ingest my substance. And so, you know, I have I had many ominous warnings, but my first ominous warning, as Bill is describing here, um, his first ominous warning that he's telling us about was when he came face-to-face with his tombstone and he was moved, um, maybe by a higher power, um, to go stand in front of this and see see this warning. And so it is important when I come in to these rooms or when I'm listening on, on the phone to these messages to be in a place of being teachable, to, to believe that this does apply to me. How can I identify in instead of identifying out? How can I see that um, if this worked for others, it's going to work for me and that I do need a power greater than myself because of the great power of this disease that traps me with the lie of believing, oh, you know, it's going to make you feel better. And then once it has me, it leads me down to um, the road of self-destruction 
and, and it is deadly and is fatal. And I have to believe that, and I have to hear what other people are saying, and that the only solution I have is a power greater than myself, and I develop that power, I get that power um, by working these steps. And that's the only way for me. The only way for me was a spiritual solution. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. And who else would like to comment on what was read? Please press star one. This is Paula. May I comment? Okay. I heard, (laughs) excuse me, I heard two people. I heard Paula and someone underneath Paula. Esther. Esther, okay. So we're going to start off with Paula, and then we're going to go to Esther. Paula, please go ahead. Thank you, Katie, and thank you for your service. And this would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. We landed in England, a new place here. I visited Winchester Cathedral, much moved, much moved. What happened in Winchester Cathedral that moved him? Have you ever been in a place like Winchester Cathedral? You can name where you were. And all of a sudden, there was a presence there. Much moved. Something moved him. Before he physically moved outside, what moved him there? Go ahead to page 12. Just a little bit ahead. And what does it say? The real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me. For a brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. And what happened then? I wandered outside. I wandered outside, and that's what I did. I wandered away. My attention was caught by a dog roll on an old tombstone, and there he read. And there he read the warning, which I fail to heed. So moved he was. Moved he was, and he moved away. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Esther. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved. I wandered outside. Um, We have someone here, a young lad, who comes to England. There's a lot to see. I've never been to England, but I've read that it's quite amazing. Uh, And here we have where um, Bill comes to a place where uh you know this is this is uh he he must have known at this point that or recognized at this point that he has uh a compulsive uh out, he's a compulsive alcoholic why would he he remembered this what it said on this tombstone very clearly and only someone who is aware? He had some awareness for his illness because look how, look how he, uh, you know, I bet you know was able to read this whole thing and repeat it back to us. So he must have known. He must have known that he he was addict that he had an addiction to alcohol because the way this whole thing is written. Already he knew that there was a major problem as a young person and that alcohol can can cause death. Of all the things he saw, this is what caught his attention. And um I think that when we go into when we when we are in social situations, 
we have to look out for the the, the good and the bad, and um, we have to know um, when to walk away. When to walk away? I was recently by a wedding, and it was getting late, and I had to stay. It was a family wedding, and I had to remove myself from the situation. So I went into another room, and I actually had headphones with me, and I just started listening to A Vision for You until the wedding was over. There was nothing else I could do. I had done all my socializing. Um, I was not going to indulge in something that I was going to regret. So I just removed myself from the situation. And with that, I passed. Thank you. Thank you so much, Esther. And who else would like to comment on what was read? Hey, this is Nicole. Could I share? Yes, Nicole. Go ahead, please. Hi, my name's Nicole. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Colorado. And um, I really like this about the ominous warnings. And there was um, many warnings that, that I did not heed. And um, and I was just thinking when um, this was read that the big book has has so many um, warnings in it. And I've um, been going through it and underlining um, promises and warnings and instructions in different colors. And um, I'm so grateful that it does have so many so many warnings in it. And um, and I remember when I um, first came into uh, OA um, that, uh, you know, thankfully the, the person who first told me about OA and, uh, and told me about the meeting that I went to, um, you know, when, when I got to the fourth step um, or the fifth step, I just said, well, I, I'm just not going to do that, you know. <laughs> and, and he brought up, you know, that half measures of bail is nothing, you know, and warning from the big book. And, um, you know, thankfully he said that, and I went through with my first fifth step. And, um, and uh, you know, I also look back on all the the warnings that I had about about my binge foods, um, you know, that I, I can't have one, you know, that I can't have any of it safely. And, um, you know, for a long time I would um, just, you know, say, well, I can have, you know, I can have one cookie a night as long as it's just one. And, uh, you know, I, I can have this in a controlled environment. And, um, you know, that worked for a while, but eventually, you know, it caught up with me because I cannot ingest my binge foods in any, you know, any way whatsoever. And that is a, a warning, a strong warning that I did not heed and um, eventually brought me into, into relapse. And um, so I'm just really grateful that we do have these warnings in here and that it is, it is very black and white. And um, with that, I pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Nicole. And we have time for a, a quick one-minute share. Maria. Okay. Um, unfortunately, we're just going to have to have Deborah, and if you could uh, keep it to about a minute or so, that would be great, Deborah. Sure. I didn't realize how late it was. Okay. Hi, everyone. This is Deborah. I'm a compulsive reader in New Jersey, and I'm recovered. Thank you, God. So I remember visiting um, places and, you know, and they were known to be spiritually uplifting um, places um, and feeling very moved at the time being there and wandering away and looking and, you know, actually praying at these places to God to give me relief, um, helping me with the food and, you know, leaving there and forgetting, um, forgetting and, you know, 
you know, that um, I could just be like everyone else. Um, I've had many, many ominous uh, warnings in my life, you know, going to doctors and warnings from family and good people warning, warning me and saying, I remember a woman stopped me on the street and said to me, aren't you afraid about your heart? Aren't you afraid that you're going to, you know, just heal over and die? This is just someone who just stopped me. And, you know, I knew, you know, from my community. And, you know, all these warnings. And another woman said to me, you know, I had open heart surgery and they cut you with a scissor, like a chicken, you know. And these are people just, you know, being very, very uh, caring about me and um, didn't do anything for me. I had to reach my own body and be in enough pain to bring me on my knees here into this program. And I still need to remember where I came from. I can't forget it. I can't forget these, um, the pain that I was in and the destruction that I did to my body and to myself and to all the people around me. Because, um, you know, I have a disease that tells me I don't have one every day, you know. This is, I, this is who I am. Um, and uh, I need to keep my memory green. I need to be part of the program and the fellowship and uh, and working the steps each day. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Devorah. And I want to take an opportunity to thank everyone who has shared, Sarah and Nancy and our readers, Susan and Michelle. And thank you also to Fran and Sharon for uh, being in our wings. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Fran, would you please read um, A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, this is Fran, compulsive eater, and I know it. (laughs) Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.